<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, get ready to be amazed. Put your hands together and make some noise. It's showtime! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pizza Planner Show. Dame, I, I did all of that because I just simply did not want to uh, futz with the equipment this week. Futz. Wow, that was really close. I have not said the word futz before, but it felt good. Wow, it sounded fantastic. Dame, welcome back. Week number two, uh, Peter on the road. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, so we've got stories later to share with you about trials and tribulations of a business traveler i can't uh, wait for that to cut into my news time uh oh no i it's off the i mean it's going to be a podcast only it is not appropriate for uh broadcast air even better uh so we've got that dame here's what's on the show this week we're going to talk parent plus loans and why they are god's curse to the earth We are going to have a listener email. Well, it seems like this gentleman had uh, received one and a half million dollars or something like that and wants to know what to do with it. Um, I can help. We're three. What is this one? Oh, I got a, uh, got a message from someone this week. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the specifics because we're not trying to out folks, right? Uh, this person uh, basically said, hey, I want to turn over a new leaf financially. Like, where do you even begin? And part of that was to prove to someone else that they're turning over a new leaf, which I think is great. And so we'll talk about, like, what do you do? Of course, the biggest waste of money of the week. Dame, this isn't travel stories, but my favorite story of the week before we get the show started this week is our coworker, Chad, who uh, shared with us an amazing story. Um, Chad, like every good Midwestern father, likes a, likes a, a nice lawn. He wants his yard to look nice. And so he made the, the financial decision to have a company come out and to uh, aerate. Mm-hmm. And reseed his yard. And it wasn't just the poke holes with spikes, Dame. This is the plugger, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they pulls out the plugs and it just looks like a, a whole like dog festival had been hanging out in your yard, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. So he hired him to come out. He even went to the length of, of calling the utility companies, services that come out and, and mark where the utility lines are. Because when you're plugging holes, you don't want to plug a gas pipe and then everything explodes, right? That explodes. So there's flags and spray paint all over his yard. The day comes in which the, the lawn servicer is to come and, and plug the yard and, and overseed. Uh, my colleague at the conclusion of the company coming looks outside and the company did his neighbor's lawn. <laughs> so they came out, they did the neighbor's lawn who had the best lawn in the neighborhood, mind you. But now it looks like there was a Chihuahua festival with all of these plugs all over the yard, which is decimated. Uh, despite the fact that uh, at the instruction of the lawn company, his lawn is marked and spray painted to suggest that he went through the pre-process of having his lawn plugged. And so then he had to call and tell the people, you did the wrong yard, and they came out today and fixed the yard. I think that's a hilarious story. Yeah, his neighbor's yard is going to be fantastic after those plugs get cleared up. You know what it makes me think, though? It's like, okay, so what's the true cost? The owner of that company gets that call, and and he or she makes this judgment where they go, oh, this just cost us. Now, it's interesting. It could, it could have cost like 40 bucks. I mean, sure, there's labor costs and mm-hmm. things like that. Who knows what they charge overall? Probably 300 bucks or something like that. But anytime you make a mistake in a business and you're the business owner, you think about like someone sent out the wrong meal to the wrong table at a restaurant. Oh, what's the cost of that? Probably a few bucks. I always wonder, even here, if we happen to make a mistake every once in a while, like what's the true cost of that mistake? And I just think about that business owner going, oh man, that stinks. Yeah, I mean, if they handle it right, it's not going to be probably any cost at all, honestly. Uh, they, they may end up getting a little bit of uh, extra business from it uh, if they handle it right so i'm i don't know i, I think that's a, a push on that one danza jameson hello jameson i was in texas last week i hope you you felt it you felt the fury of the peter in texas all right dame start the show uh we're talking parent plus loans based on this nerd wallet survey that came out this week that you and i've been talking about yes uh, so let's start the show in three two one 
This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And we occasionally will answer your email. On the radio, Dame joining uh, me this week, as always, is Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Back on the road, week two of travel season. We may have some travel tales to tell during the radio show this week, or I may just do it between segments, and you'd have to catch those travel tales on the podcast. If you want to hear the show within the show or the, the show outside the show, Download the Pete the Planner podcast wherever you get podcasts. Dame, this week we've got three things. We've got Parent Plus loans are the bane of existence. We've got how to turn over a new leaf financially. And we've got, I just got one and a half million dollars. What do I do with it? Those are the segments this week. And of course, biggest waste of money of the week and news. Dame, Nerd Wallet has a new survey for people who have Parent Plus loans. And, uh, I would say it's eye-opening, but maybe it's only eye-opening to people who had not had their eyes open to this previously. But you and I have long felt that Parent PLUS loans are just generally a bad idea for both parents and students. Thoughts? There are typically some unintended consequences that come packaged in those nice Parent PLUS loan deals. Anywhere from uh, scrambling retirement plans to maybe a little bit of um, uh, disharmony between parents and children uh, as, as uh, the payments start to build up and the, the responsibilities continue well into what could be uh, normally prime time for preparing for retirement. Uh, but there's uh, any number of issues that could make Parent PLUS loans distasteful, we'll, we'll say. Yeah, you know, here's the thing about Parent PLUS loans. They're generally a byproduct of, of one thing. The student capping out the amount of student loans they can take out on their own behalf and the parent going okay well uh, at this point you're halfway through college if you leave this is a giant problem let me solve it by putting my future income on the line and so uh, let's explore that to begin here Dave. number one it is a byproduct of not only that but is a byproduct of school choice in the beginning Prior to a, a student capping out how much student loans they can take out, uh, you should know that that's going to happen when you choose a particular school. Yet parents often are just surprised that they keep getting these bills during the entire four years plus uh, of a student's existence. So isn't it as simple to say you can prevent parent plus loans by ensuring you're not going to a school that maxes out your kids student loans? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how parents are surprised at this. Maybe they think there's, you know, maybe this is a situation where we see, um, you know, young homeowners are uh, falling into the same trap. We anticipate there's going to be a, maybe a bonus or a raise or a change in income, uh, maybe a potential future scholarship that's going to bring the cost down of that education. And we think uh, everything's going to be okay. We know it's going to be expensive, but... There's going to be ways for us to mitigate that, and oftentimes there's not, and you're left with one solution, borrow some cash. Student loans for students on the surface make some sense. Just very plain and simple. Uh, you get an education which you're able to leverage to then pay back the cost of borrowing for the education, right? I mean, that just very simple. Yeah. However, a loan that a parent takes on uh, on behalf of their student, it's someone else's education that the, the actual borrower can't leverage to repay the debt. And this is on top of the fact that, uh, as we've talked about on this show in the past, I believe the toughest years of a person's financial life are 47 to 53. I believe that period of time for just about anyone, especially people who have children at traditional childbearing ages, 47 to 53 are a nightmare. You're closer to the end of your career than the beginning of your career. Your parents are aging both medically and financially. Your health is changing. Your kids are going through college, uh, which can put a lot of out-of-pocket expenses on you. You're having a midlife crisis from a psychological standpoint. But Dame, if you throw Parent PLUS loans on top of that, it is truly the salting of the wounds because it takes that period of time, 47 to 53, and it extends it at least 10 years into your early 60s where you've got this house you can't live in. And we call that a Parent PLUS loan. 
yeah, there are any number of reasons not to do this, but just the confluence of all the circumstances that you just outlined are reason enough not to do it. And if you haven't planned on your child's education, if you haven't done maybe as good a job as you wanted to saving ahead of time, it makes that college choice decision even more crucial, not only to your child's financial future, but certainly yours. You've got to make sure that you're not going to um, cut yourself off at the knees as you're preparing to move into that next stage of life and all of the responsibilities that are going to come with it. Yeah, it is worth noting here uh, that uh, Craig P. Anderson, student loan expert, um, uh, who I would say former student loan expert, but he's still a student uh, loan expert and uh, principal at Clear Path Coaching and Consulting. You can learn more at clearpathcoaches.com. He notes in our Facebook live chat right now that uh, originally um, Parent Plus loans were for middle class families. It was a program created in the 70s, and it was supposed to help people who couldn't uh, tap equity in their homes and things like that. However, what's happened in the last 20 years is that low-income families have used these loans to fill the gaps from a funding perspective, which on the surface, Dame, sounds beautiful. It sounds like upward mobility. However, what I just said is the people taking out the loans are low-income families, which is to suggest that their struggle in their 50s are as bad as anybody. And so that makes that that period of time, again, 47 to 53 years old, it extends it to their early 60s and, and makes retirement nearly impossible, if not impossible, for very well-meaning, loving parents. Totally agree. It's uh, It might have had the best of intentions when it was originally created. It is not being used, like so many things in life, as originally intended. And it's causing a, probably a larger burden uh, for more families than it's helping. Let's hit some of the uh, takeaways from this Nerd Wallet survey. 37% of parents said, my child will be taking over the payments once the automatic COVID-19 forbearance program ends. Woo. Dame. This is what you, you you began our segment with. Will this create dysfunction in an intergenerational relationship when there's just 37% of parents believe their children will just take over their payments? What I wonder what percentage of children also believe they are to take over their children or their parents' payments. That was my exact que- follow-up question was going to be how many of those kids are planning on it and how many of them know they're going to be doing that or be asked to do that at the moment. 34% of parents are not confident they'll be able to uh, start payments back up when this forbearance program ends, the forbearance period ends uh, here in the next couple months. I would like to note that there were some additional figures that came along in the surgery, uh, surgery survey. Sure. Uh, I believe there are, uh, the percentage of parents who are unsure they'll be able to make the payments are higher than the students, the, the former students who will be able to make the payments. Which I think illustrates the point, yeah. right? I mean, because the parents have already have this entire life built on expenses. Um, I thought this one is the most interesting and it is the most telling to me, but maybe it's just the most telling to my narrative. And I just re- I realized that's the second day in a row I've used the word narrative in that mm-hmm. regard, which I usually don't get into narratives. Anyway, if I could do it over again, 30% of parents said they would ask their child to rethink their education plan so they would not need to take out a parent plus loan. 30%. I, I don't want to say people are wrong or kick them when they're down, but with the last 20 seconds of this segment here on the Radio Dame, I just have to say that number should be close to 100%. Yeah, I think that's way too low. If you have to take on Parent PLUS loans, you should know that before your kid enrolls in that school. And if it's going to be the case, choose a different school. It matters a lot. Coming up after the break, Dame, how to turn over a new leaf financially. All that's on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Actually, I didn't want to do that segment next, but I I froze (laughs) up. Oh, boy. Giggly, miggly. I always like when Craig P. Anderson provides like real-time insight during the show on a segment that he knows more about than we do. It was like having somebody in your ear during a TV segment just saying, hey, here's what's going on. Yeah, he's a producer. I'm going to endorse him on LinkedIn for producing my radio show. Um, Clearpathcoaches.com. I get Craig's uh, emails every Tuesday. And every time I feel like he has climbed inside of my brain 
and said, oh, this is what you're struggling with this week. Here's some uh, very valuable insight on that. So I did not I know there were emails. I'm, I need to go sign up for the email. You know what? Maybe you should actually. Uh, Dame, do it. I'll slide a link into um, outside of linked into our, our Slack right now. Clearpathcoaches.com. Clearpathcoaches.com. In fact, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the Facebook post right now as well uh, for everybody. I don't know. I've never done that before, but there it goes. Hit my man up. All right. Dame, you want a travel story? Yes. The story I'm about to tell you seems as though it's from a sitcom. It seems as though it's from a stand-up act. It seems as though it's not true. But the story I'm about to tell you is incredibly true, incredibly unfortunate, and arguably funny. So, Dave, when you're flying on an airplane and the little televisions, entertainment systems are, are nestled neatly in the headrest in front of you, and that is your intimate viewing experience, something happens. If the pilot comes on and talks or the flight attendant comes on and talks, the movie, the show you're watching, on-demand programming simply pauses. Mm -hmm. It just pauses. That's what it does. I'm watching one of my favorite sitcoms ever, favorite comedies ever. It's a series called Party Down. It is the funniest show ever, ever. Party Down. It's about a group of caterers who are actors catering on the side out in um, California and, and, and L.A. It is unbelievably funny. Adam Scott, I believe is his name. I think he ended up being on Parks and Rec is in it. Jane Lynch is in it. it it's just really funny. Anyway, I hadn't seen the show in like five years or so. So I, I'm watching an episode I'm familiar with. It's about this uh, dating um, mixer for, for seniors. Right. And so like, there's this, like, these people come together and it's a, it's like a speed dating thing for seniors. And there's like this expert on how to date when you're a senior, someone in your 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. And, uh, they're catering this event. So I'm watching it. It's great. It gets to the part that I had forgotten about in which the, uh, dating coach for seniors livens up the party by bringing in Adult entertainers. So here's the thing. In this segment, I'm thinking, I'm on an airplane. They're gonna I start to remember what's gonna happen. They're gonna they're gonna edit this part out. They're gonna blur over a particular area, right? Something that doesn't necessarily bother you in the privacy of your own home when you're watching it with your significant other and your kids are asleep, and maybe you've had a, a pour of bourbon or six. But when the pilot comes on to tell you about inclement weather on the horizon, and the first shot is of, a, of an actress who has removed her, the top part of her clothing, and it is in full display of the entire plane, because you're pretty far up, and it's there for 45 seconds, and you're trying to cover it, but then as you're covering the screen, you're actually grabbing the woman where it is inappropriate. And then you catch out of the corner of your eye an, an elderly woman who's sitting next to you that is just staring at you with shame and disgust. And in previously in the flight, I'd done something I never, ever do before. Talk to her. I talk to her. What do you do, sir? Well, uh, I do a financial company. What's it called? It's called your money line. Oh, that's neat. Do you do anything else? I actually, I, I have a radio show and I write a column for USA Today. Oh, what's it called? Pete the Planner. Pete the Planner. You know what? My grandson is interested in finance. I'm going to text him that right now. This is pre-flight. She texts him. I'm sitting next to Pete the Planner. He says he has a website. She's texting her grandson. And I'm thinking, you know what? I never talk to people on flights, but I feel like I help this woman, grandson. Needless to say... Dame, an hour later, this woman's shaking her head in disgust at Pete the Planner watching nudie films on a flight. How about that? I, I think from now on, anytime somebody asks, you're Bill Ramsey, Dave's brother. Funny you bring that up. I have another travel story that I will share at the next break. Dame, here we go. Reset your clock in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. If you missed the last uh, segment... 
That means you were late to the show. Two demerits. All right, Dame, I received an email, uh, something like that, from a person who said, you know what? I've previously not been great with money. And I want to turn over a new leaf. I, I want to show my commitment to myself and to the people that are important to me that I want to be better with money. How do you do that? How do you actually do that? And so, Dame, I find that it's not as simple as just telling someone to put together a budget. Because I don't, I don't think it's really that. I think it's about beginning to reserve slash save slash break your dependency on your income by saving money on a regular basis. And I think the easiest way for someone to do that is to save 10% of the money they bring in at any given time to a savings account to create that mechanism, to exercise that muscle of saving. So for me, Dame, the absolute best place to start and we'll get to the other parts, but the best place to start is by saving 10% of your income, no excuses, and get used to just having 90% of otherwise what you would have had. Uh, are you in agreement with this? Do you disagree? Do you see it differently? Um, I, I, I don't disagree with the action itself. I think there um, are many reasons why it's great. There's a tangible benefit, a tangible result uh, when it's all said and done that you've, you've taken that uh, approach and you're taking this to heart, really making that change. Uh, the 10% might be, might feel like a, a lot of money uh, up front to somebody who's had problems in the past, maybe an approach. Uh, and I, I can't think if there's an official name for the, the plan or the program, but the, where you do $1 the first day and $2 the next day, uh, that, that, that we've advocated for, um, that might be a, a little easier for somebody to get started. Might also feel like it's a bit of a you know, gamification to it to to keep your interest as you're going. You know what's coming tomorrow, and you're actively involved in it. It's not just a a one time transfer, maybe from one account to the next. Uh, and if you can you can show that consistency as well, um, I think it goes a long way to to building some some credence to to what you're doing and being able to say, hey, look, I'm I'm taking some real deep thought into this and uh, taking myself a little bit more seriously and man, things are going, going well so far. I had a buddy, I think I've told you this story a long time ago. I had a buddy from high school. We played basketball together. He ended up being a barber uh, in central Indiana and right out of school. I, I think he went to college. Look, I don't remember that part. Anyway, he, he was cutting hair um, and his dad told him to all every day, set aside $10 every day, $10 cash. He would just take it out of the till. And I don't know why I said till because I mean, technically I'm right there. I just, I wanted to seem like little house in the prairie was around and he'd set it aside. And I went and got a haircut from him probably 10 years ago, back when I had hair. And so he'd been doing this for a very long time. I guess I would, it would have been 15 years at least he'd been doing this. And he had literally saved $10 a day. Oh for 15 years and he had it in cash. I'm doing the math right now, actually, because I remember at the time just being shocked. Uh, and he would also, by the way, he would set on Fridays, he would set aside $30 to account for the weekends. So he literally for 15 years saved $10 a day. Um, yeah, he had like $55,000 in cash. And which, which is remarkable. And it's just because you peel it off and you get used to it. Now, I think the other element for someone trying to turn over their, a new leaf is this. What people struggle with as their life is going on is they struggle with uh, recognizing their shifting of priorities. Dame, do you remember when you, you and Mrs. Uh, Planner North had a... Well, actually, she wouldn't be my wife. She'd be Mrs. No. Dunn. I, I got you'd have some explaining to do. Sorry, Cassie. Uh, Miss, true Mrs. Planner's like, take him. I don't care. Uh, anyway, do you remember when you all first had children and, and you're coming off some of your your kidless life and then you've got the kids and your expenses start to shift and there's that period of, uh, let's just call it confusion, where you're just like, uh, we actually don't spend money on these things anymore. We spend money on these things. But depending on what those old things are, those expenses can continue on and then you, your cash flow short because you haven't recognized that your priorities and your spending 
have shifted, yet you keep putting money in those areas. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I think most people go through that that circumstance. And sometimes that even goes from being maybe a two-income household down to a one-income household as well. So there's all sorts of variables that could happen in that scenario. Yeah, I think it's it's just the more you spend, especially with kids, the more you spend on entertainment, the more discretionary spending you have pre-kids, the harder it is to then shift your priorities to the expenses associated with the kids, especially if they get into activities and things like that. And if you don't recognize that, then you're getting into this scenario in which you're consistently spending more than you make. And I think that people who struggle and who, who need to turn over a new leaf, they don't examine how their life and their habits have changed. And not in a, a, a negatively critical way, but in a way that is detailed enough to recognize that they care about different things than they used to, yet sometimes their money doesn't know it yet. Uh, and so I think that is step number two. Step number one is save 10% of whatever comes in and just put it into a savings account. Step two is to critically look at your expenses and say, does this actually matter to me for, for what I care about today? Which then gets us to step number three, Dame, which everyone thinks is step number one. That's where a budget actually comes in. I mean, you, you start to look and the best way to budget, in my opinion, and we're actually going to talk about this in detail next week on the show, talk about pre-planning, is um, to take a look at what how you spend money regularly now. It's sort of taking a look at your expenses. Uh, I like printing off a bank statement than using a, an Excel spreadsheet. Dame, do you have a method that you and your team prefer to, to lead people to? Uh, we are method agnostic. We will let anybody try and figure out uh, what method works best for them and encourage them and support them through that. But uh, there's got to be a method. There does have to be a method. That's the unique thing about budgeting and budgeting apps and budgeting processes is that just try something. I don't really care whether there's one called like lunch money or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's YNAB. There's all these sorts of things. Uh, we don't particularly care. We just want the one that matches up with you. I like to think of it like fitness. Uh, maybe you did uh, P90X for a day and you're like, this killed me and I hate it and I hate exercise and I do not want your shake, right? Try something else. You're going to find something that you like. Do you end up loving Jazzercise or, or Zumba? I don't know. Maybe you do. And if you do, that's great. But that's why these ideas that everyone has to do the same method is ridiculous. And that's the same for people who try to change up their diet. It, it's the same concept. You have to find something that matches you. Dame, the other unique property in all of this is what are the chances, I'll let you into this, what are the chances that you and your significant other uh, benefit from the exact same type of budget? Very small. Uh, unless somebody is the, uh, the ringleader uh, on this on a monthly basis and you can communicate what's going on then maybe that person just kind of gets uh, to ride shotgun in that process. And, and that's okay as long as they're still actively involved in, in the meetings and, and all that good stuff. But what makes sense to me and how it's uh, represented and how I can see it probably isn't going to make sense to the second person in the relationship. So there may be a little give and take on that side of the, the equation. If you've ever sat down with your elementary school student and helped them with their math homework, then your significant other comes over and then does their attempt to help with the math homework. You see how different your brains were socialized to think about numbers. Like what Mrs. Like sometimes Mrs. Planner will be helping uh, Tito and, and, and she'll help him get to a solution one way and then I'll come over and I'll do it a different way. And she'll like, well, why do you do it that way? And it's like, well, for me, it's blah, 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 blah. She's like, oh, I never thought about that way because I do a blah, 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 blah. That manifests itself in how you deal with money every single day day coming up after the break dame we have got uh, an email from someone who's receiving 1.5 million dollars after taxes what should they do with it i'll give you my email address next i'm pete the planner mrs advice and i are having this playing this this scenario out uh, with uh middle school math right now yeah i'm at this point with math that I don't know how I know the answer to certain things, but I do. And then, so that's frustrating to everyone involved. I'll be like, Ali, it's this. And she's like, why is it this? I'm like, because it is dummy. <laughs> it's like really yeah. good teacher. Yeah. 
just write that on your paper, Ollie. Write the answer and say, just because it is, dummy. Dame, have you ever been a coach in a youth sporting event in which the other coach gets in trouble by the official, gets thrown out, gets a yellow card? Have you ever been in that scenario? Um, I've been an umpire and, and thrown a fan out. Oh, yeah. Well, that I believe. Yeah. I was at a game. I'm an assistant coach of a 12-year-old girl soccer team this week. And the coach on the other team got a yellow card, which is, I mean, which is sort of unusual. Um, it's not that big a deal, but it, it's sort of a big deal. It's like getting a technical foul in basketball, mm-hmm. right? Gets a yellow card. And so my head coach and I are standing there. And, and if we're being honest, he shouldn't have gotten one. And so it was like this awkward moment, but this like really nice moment among, amongst coaches on the other side. Just been like, yeah, I mean, that, that sucked. You definitely yeah. should not have gotten that. It was just really weird because you, you often think of it's your opponent and you're, you want to you benefit from things that go wrong in an appropriate way. But in that moment, it was like, that doesn't feel right. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully at the level that I'm assuming you're coaching, I mean, you don't want stuff like that to happen. You want everybody to come and learn and have a good time and get the experience of competing against each other. And yes, even losing, get the experience of losing uh, to round out the, uh, the that side of the, the child that's participating. At the risk of feeling like I'm making fun of someone, which I'm not. The, the referee in question here, this, I'm stating facts. I'm stating facts. Arguably the oldest youth sports official I've ever seen. And that sounds rude. sounds like I'm going somewhere with this. But I, I'm going to go early 80s. That's impressive. On a soccer, up and down a soccer field. field. On an 11 v 11 soccer field. Now, if this person was in the early 80s, they have lived a hard life. <laughs> I would argue that this person had a shorter fuse because back when he began refereeing, you just didn't say anything to officials. And he's also so elderly, it's possible he invented the game of soccer. All right, Dame, let's hit the next segment. And then after the next break, you get, I don't know, another travel story, which is sort of just short and funny, but I enjoy it. All right, coming up in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, every once in a while we get an email and ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com and we got one this week. We're going to answer it now. Dear Pete, I will be receiving $1.5 million after taxes. This person denoted, oh, time out. This person denoted, Dame, $1.5 million by writing dollar sign one decimal five space capital M, capital M, which is a proper way to do it. I also would would note that in reading that first sentence, I could already tell you how old the person was. Interesting. It's like when people write the date, like military people uh-huh. write the date or people write the time, like military people, you just sort of know. D- d- did you read into it there? I, uh, the overall tone of the email made me think that they're not unfamiliar with large numbers. Oh, well, let's see how that goes. I will be receiving 1.5 mm after tax in the near future, and I'm trying to decide whether I should add all of this to my investment portfolio, 90% stocks, 10% bonds. The alternative would be to invest about a third of it and pay off the mortgage of my primary residence with the rest. I owe about $960,000 on my 30-year fixed at a rate of 3.75%. I'm in the highest tax bracket. I'm not... uh, uh, and have not, do not have debt except my mortgage. My mortgage gives me about $32,000 per year in tax deduction. Most of the articles I've read uh, recommend investing the full amount if one is in this situation. What do you think? All right. So do you feel like you have enough facts there? I have facts to, to make uh, snap judgment decisions? Of course. We've always got enough facts to do that. Sure. I, I, we are stock full of uninformed opinions, and yeah. they're usually from this desk. Your team usually knows what they're doing. Uh, I've never been a fan of carrying a mortgage for a tax deduction. I don't know about you, Pete, but when somebody says, oh, you can't get rid of your mortgage because you got to keep that tax deduction, I well, first of all, that's changed a lot for most people, not this individual, because they've got enough to enough in deductions to qualify to um, take itemized deductions. 
for most people, you're going to fall smack dab in the middle of standard deduction time period. So if you hear somebody say, don't get rid of your mortgage because you get that valuable tax deduction, probably not the case anymore. Even for somebody who's a high net worth individual like this, I still struggle. Yes, there's a bigger benefit because they're in a different tax bracket, but I, I still struggle with the idea of keeping debt for a tax benefit when you could just pay the thing off, keep the cash, do whatever the heck you want with it and pay a fraction of that cash back in taxes and whatever. All right. So I maybe agree with you because I don't know what your ultimate piece of advice is here. However, here's where my, I am hundred percent agree with the, like keep a debt for the tax deduction. I think that's ridiculous. Like it, it's just like, it's silly math. I think the bigger issue here for me is 3.75% mortgage. Um, is relatively inexpensive, not to the times, but to the long-term average gain this person would get by investing the money. And if this person has such significant income, which they do because they're in the highest tax bracket, then leverage that significant income to get a better rate of return than you'd have to pay on that mortgage, which is to say, leave the mortgage in place and let it ride, Jimmy. I think that's a 30 year or a 15 year mortgage. He says it's a 30 year fixed mortgage. Okay. It, I mean, I mean, obviously it's a jumbo, but you should be able to get that down. Shouldn't part of the recommendation be for like, Hey, uh, consider refi in there, Gary. I would, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to leave <clears throat> the debt in place, which is a very viable option at this point, um, might as well make it cheap. You know, save yourself a little bit of cash on that other side, unless you really want to maximize that deduction, I guess. But otherwise, get it down, refinance that debt, invest the cash, let it ride. All right, I'm looking right now. 30 year jumbo rate. Is this right? Dude, no. You're going to have to give us some details, Pete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Two and a half percent. Really? Yeah, but that can't be right. I'm seeing some higher than that, but let's say it's 3% on that much. 75 basis points. I don't know how deep he is doing to his mortgage. I mean, if he's 11 years deep in his mortgage, like look at a 15, look at a 20 year mortgage. Isn't it funny when we get questions like this? Like the question is about, do I invest or pay off my mortgage? But what you realize is like there's another element at play here. I think the answer is to absolutely invest it and refinance your mortgage. 3.75%, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a, a not insignificant amount of money uh, that, that we're talking about here. And Pete, I don't know, I recently I've started scratching my head a little bit thinking are there do we give different pieces of advice for different scenarios. Some people might that might see as similar on the outside, but based on some of the internal details, do we go a different direction? And what might that be confusing for some people? What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, that's the, uh, the idea of expertise Uh, and that's the idea of nuance. I also would suggest that's why, when I write in large publications or talk on large platforms, you always have to hedge when you give big, broad, sweeping pieces of advice because there are little elements like this guy's got a 90-10 portfolio, 90% stocks, 10% bonds, which is to suggest he's likely a savvy investor because he says it that way. And he also writes 1.5 million as 1.5 mm. This is the nuance that helps us answer the questions. Had this been transcribed and written a different way, some of the details left out, we would give a different piece of advice, no? Yeah, I think so. And I I, know, I realize that might ruffle some, some feathers of, of listeners, but really when you get down to it, there are different guidelines for different situations, even though they may seem the same on, on the face of it. So uh, I guess that goes back to making sure you're working with somebody you trust as well, knowing that, you know, 
while you may see something in black and white, they're seeing all the shades as well. And they can give you the experience advice to make sure that you're uh, doing what's best for you, even though it may not seem that way on the face of it. So didn't see this segment going that way, but make sure you're working with somebody that you, you trust and respect and has the experience needed to help you in your specific situation. I'm going to change some just secondary details of this email and then, and, and we'll see how this goes. All right, dear Pete, I'm getting an inheritance of over $1 million sometime soon. I have an investment portfolio, but I'm not exactly sure what the mix is. Uh, should I pay off my mortgage, uh, uh, my 30-year mortgage that's got kind of a high rate? Or do I invest the money? From a tax standpoint, I do like tax breaks. Everything I've just said is exactly the same as the pertinent details of that email, but it's the nuance, the change that reflects how we answer it. And to your point, brilliant point. Yeah, I just hearing it worded differently does make you take a different approach to it. If you've been in financial services for any length of time, you can get a really good feel for um, the acumen and the experience of somebody um, typically pretty quickly. Um, that doesn't always mean it's the, it's the right one, but sometimes you can make these judgments and, uh, and really start to go in the right direction. You know where this gets a little stickier as we enter the break here in just a moment? Imagine this person's significant other mm-hmm. sending us the same email because it's this person's acumen, as you say, mm-hmm. um, that colors the words they use. Mm-hmm. If someone slightly removed, potentially with less uh, financial aptitude, completely different email. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. If you're listening on the podcast, you're going to get a travel story. If you don't listen to the podcast, go to the Pete the Planner uh, podcast and, and listen to it. And you get to hear what happens between the show, between the segments. Then we'll come back to Biggest Waste of Money of the Week and the news right here on the Pete the Planner Radio Network. I'm Pete the Planner. Got a new radio network. Do you hear about that? I did. I think I've heard something about that. <clears throat> that nice new affiliate? We've... Oh, we're all not on the radio, so we'll uh, we'll do that when we come back. Yeah, be nice if we probably give him a shout out again this week. All right, so Dame, on the way to California, my first flight was to Minneapolis on Sunday morning. Took a flight to Minneapolis, and then on the way to uh, John Wayne Santa Ana Airport after that. I'm boarding the flight to uh, to Minneapolis, and uh, I'm going to be sitting in Comfort Plus, which I guess you would call second class. I don't know. I'm sitting in like the second section, a little bit more legroom. And uh, the lady scans me in, and she says, "Hey, hang out here for a second. Uh, Someone didn't show up. You can actually sit in the first class." I was like, "Okay." Now you're talking, Betty. Her name was Sally. Get on the plane. I've flown, flown first class before, before uh, in, in similar situations. Um, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm sitting there. It's nice. Um, the flight attendant comes over and says, um, oh, welcome, Mr. Schwartz. Um, can I take your jacket and hang it up for you? I was like, okay, sure, sure, sure. She did that. And then she came over right after that. She hung up my jacket. She said, Mr. Schwartz, can I? Can I get you a cocktail? Can I get you something to drink before the flight takes off? I was like, well, no, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, into the flight, 20 minutes, she comes over and she goes, um, Mr. Schwartz, um, can I get you a snack? I was like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm good. Right before the flight lands, she comes over. She goes, um, Mr. Schwartz, do, do you know where your next flight takes off? What gate? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. So, Damien, it occurred to me at this point in time, once someone calls you Mr. Schwartz, that's not something you want to correct. Like, I w- in my mind, I was, I've been and still am Mr. Schwartz right now. How Does it fit, Peter Schwartz? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. I'm looking forward to seeing you change your Twitter handle uh, very soon. PeterSchwartz.com. Huh. And I will also note, it's a guy like Peter Schwartz who will have a topless image freeze on their uh, plain screen for an uncomfortable amount of time and then have to explain it to the elderly woman next door, who was married to the soccer ref. Oh, uh, what a small world. 
The soccer, I'm not making fun of the soccer ref. The soccer ref's black shorts were, um, do you remember, okay, let me think about this. Late 90s, early 2000, there was like the athletic material for like high school sports jerseys that actually had like a satin, a sateen Mm. sheen to them. Do you remember this period of time? I do. Now things are more flat again, but Mm. there was a time when it would just, it literally sparkled. This ref had on a pair of black shorts that were made of that sateen material that were, this sounds like I'm making fun of him. I'm just trying to illustrate what was going on. That, that had had seen better days and probably were purchased that period of time, not making fun of him. So they had browned, like they were literally like brown, like a like a, cho- a lovely chocolatey brown. Like if you had a dessert in front of you of that color, you will partake. And so it really added to the vibe of giving someone a yellow card. It was amazing. Lots of hours in the sun to make it go from uh, and washes to go from black to brown but and i also have to make another note about the ref when he came over to me because i was setting up the field i'm insistent to the coach he came over he's walking like uh, at me i'm looking in the sun over his head and just blinding blinding clearly enough to, to to brown his shorts so to speak and he comes up and he's like did you line the field like that he's sort of did you line the field because i was the one lining the field and he began to complain uh, about how it was done poorly which it was because it was my first time. And he said, did you line the field? And he's still probably 15 yards away from me, but he's backlit with the sun and I'm looking down. I just, I see a ref coming. I hear the voice. I see the short haircut and I go, yes, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> and like, here's the dumb thing about being a, a relatively polite Midwesterner. I unnecessarily insulted this person just by doing what my father told me to do, which is to respect people and say, sir or ma'am. And, and then I did something dumb because of the sun blinding me. Uh, you know what I mean? Can we start a, a collection <clears throat> to support you getting kicked out of a game this year? I can't believe I didn't get the yellow card. I will never get kicked out of a game. I don't yell like that. You could just make uh, quiet, backhanded remarks like ma'am to people. I like to imagine that ref is sitting around his family room, listening to his large radio, listening to the stories, and maybe he heard that s- the story right now. It's giant console radios where you have to slide the top yeah. open. To, uh, Next up is Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> On AM, uh, got the, they got the uh, call sign for the, uh, the new affiliate in the last segment. I will note that when he went to the sideline at halftime to have a drink, he drank Ovaltine. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. no, he didn't. I thought you were going to go with Metamucil or something like that. I have got a very, uh, I've got things to do. Oh, I've got that thing at 11. Okay, we got to go. We got to go. Now I cannot joke anymore. Oh, I need a biggest waste of money of the week. Oh, this is going off the rails. Oh, what's going to happen next? He's Woof, at, boom. Radio. He's at TV. Oh, I got it. Okay, I'm going to... Oh, if my daughter listens... Okay, in three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is... Dame, I don't know if your daughter's at the age yet where she comes to you with deals, you know? She comes to you like, hey, I got an idea. Let me present a deal to you. Does that happen yet? Uh, No, that has not. I could see Thomas doing that. Totally. LJ, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay, so... My daughter comes to me uh, when I got home the other night and she said, dad, before you say no, and I'm like, okay, first of all, I am going to say no to whatever you say, but I want to listen to see where this goes. Cause she's in this deal making thing right sure. now. She goes, the new iPhone 13 came out and I think I should trade in my phone and then trade it for the iPhone 13 because the iPhone 13 is new and it's lower price than what my phone was. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. But, you know, of course, I know how this all works. But I'm like, okay, here's what I'd like you to do, Ali. Do some research around it. Bring me the economics of it. And we'll go from there. She said, okay. She goes, so that's not a no? I said, it can't be a no until I have the economics. She's like, okay. Last night before soccer practice comes up to me and says, dad, here's the deal. Her phone, which is a, I don't know what it is, a 12, a 10, I, no one knows. She goes, the retail price, and, and you're going to work with me here. 
$1,000. And everyone's like, oh, you bought your daughter a $1,000 phone? It's like, well, you know how it works. It's yeah. it, not exactly. And she was like, okay, my phone was $1,000. And if I trade it in, they'll give me $200 on trade-in. And the new phone is $700. So it would, Dad, it would only cost you $500 <laughs> to do this. And she goes, think about that. <laughs> She's like getting into like, <laughs> think about that. It's a thousand dollar phone. And, and this one's cheaper because it's only $500. I said, Ollie, thank you for doing that research. Let's talk through some things here. I said, you, you, you had two ways to come at me here to, to, to discuss this. Number one, you could go with the features of the phone are so amazing that they provide value to us. The second thing you could do is bring a really good economic argument to the table that, that make it a good decision. I said, honey, unfortunately, what you did is brought bad economics to the story with no value because we will end up with one phone and have outlaid $1,500 in the process. She's like, so that's a no? I was like, it is a no. And she said, I thought you weren't going to say no. So, Dame, <laughs> that is the biggest waste of money of the week is upgrading your $1,000 phone for a $700 phone and ending up with one phone and paying $1,500. I'm sure Tim Apple is thrilled with this segment. What's in the news this week, Dame? Taco Bell is tasting, uh, testing a tasty monthly subscription service. In about 20 participating restaurants across Tucson, Arizona, customers can pay between $5 to $10 a month for taco lover's passes. Each gives subscribers one taco a day for 30 days. The app-based program is currently active until November 24th. I'm sure you're asking what tacos are involved. I can tell you that. Uh, soft tacos, spicy potato soft taco, crunchy tacos, Doritos tacos. Some of the famous ones. Taco Bell likely hopes the trial turns casual customers into regular customers and increase enrollment in its year-old loyalty program. Yum! Brands, which owns the taco chain, said its recent earnings call that it's aiming to grow its digital sales this year with more exclusives such as this one. This is the key, Pete. App users enrolled in its loyalty program spend 35% more compared to prior to joining. Ooh. Yeah. Dean, what was your college Taco Bell order? Uh, probably uh, three soft taco supreme. Probably I was pretty pretty plain Jane. I was a Mexi melt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Mexican pizza. Mm-hmm. And then I would always get the cinnamon twists, the cinnamon crisps yeah, sure. or whatever they're called. Yeah. Here's the thing with those. You'd convinced yourself that it was a dessert. Um, and you were like, oh, this is amazing. It's, it's basically like a sweet. But you never really liked them as much as you thought you'd like those those little desserts. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. What else is in the news? This week in predatory marketing, <laughs> Robinhood, you know, the go-to trading. I've never heard of it. Young investors uh, wants to get its base even younger. The digital brokerage is kicking off a nationwide marketing campaign Wednesday, this past Wednesday, that is. Uh, it's designed to turn more college students into Robinhood customers. I know, it seems almost impossible. Robinhood will give students who sign up for brokerage accounts using their school email address $15 to trade and enter them into a $20,000 giveaway. Robinhood executives were to will tour campuses of community colleges and historically black colleges and universities this fall. Yeah, I was talking to Oz here at our office this week talking about Bitcoin, 20-year-olds getting in cryptocurrency and stuff. And she said, well, you used to day trade in college. I mean, because she knows this. We've had this conversation. And I was, you know, for the first time ever, something occurred to me, Dame. I am hypercritical of people who invest in, in Bitcoin. I, I, in, in not just Bitcoin, but cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like they, they don't understand the risks. Do you think I really understood the risks of day trading in college? No. So all that's changed is, change is my risk tolerance, my understanding of risk, and wisdom so I'm going to quit uh, blasting people in their 20s who invest in cryptocurrency because I essentially did the equivalent of it at the time. That's fair. That's fair. 
it's still really stupid. What else is in the news? Uh, let's close the circle. Since we talked about Robinhood, let's go to Mass Mutual. Remember that Roaring Kitty guy? Oh, Thunder Nut. What, what was his name? Thunder... No, Kitten? Roaring Kitty. I just said it. Roaring oh, Kitty. Roaring Kitty. Yeah. Uh, Mass Mutual, uh, they had to pay almost $5 million to resolve allegations by a Massachusetts security regulator, including that it failed to supervise its agents among uh, the social media persona Roaring Kitty uh, during the GameStop frenzy. It ended up costing Mass Mutual $5 million. Damn... We did a segment called Win, Lose, or Jail. Yes, we did. And, and I and look, if I were a better, uh, I don't know, uh, entity within this program, I would track it down. Yeah. And you will hear on that that you and I both said one of the big losers in all of that Thunder Nuts thing was Mass Mutual. And it, and, and it stinks because they did nothing wrong. Like they had a person who didn't disclose. Right. And yet they lost. I knew it. Yeah. Apparently they are going to now monitor the social media accounts of their employees because of this. You know, I used to write the social media copy for a large financial company that their uh, financial advisors were allowed to use and they could only tweet or post on LinkedIn what I wrote. And they would always be really vanilla, dumb things because that's all you could get through their particular regulators and now mass mutual or companies like them are going to have to continue to post dumb things that i write i'm sorry for everybody in that scenario when you're a young financial advisor and you you hear the rules and and compliance tells you this or that having been there it all seems dumb it's like when your parents tell you something when you're a kid and you're like whatever you know but now, again, as bald men, I get it. I mean, have we all not been on some side of a well-intentioned, terrible mistake that you make when you're unwise? Of course we have. $5 million because uh, Kitten Fire, whatever his name is, yeah. is, is going off the deep end. Yeah, that's him. And I'm, I, you know, it's it's a preemptive hand slap, and then they just make sure they keep slapping your hand every time you try and do something. Dame, there's a rumor that Lisa from your team will be joining us on the radio next week. I, I've heard the same thing. I will keep my fingers crossed that that actually comes to fruition. All right, Dame. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Um, it's a couple months left in the year, and by a couple months, I mean more than three. That's some good counting, Pete. That's what we do here. All right, Dame. I hope you have a good week. I hope everyone has a good weekend. Thank you for all our radio affiliates. New uh, affiliate there in Anderson, Indiana. Wolf Boom Radio. Sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. And this is the Pete the Planner Show. Oh, my gosh. You just got outed in the, I in see the comments here. The Mrs. Advice outed me. Uh, so Danza, uh, listener of the year last year, uh, asks... How's Dame's Bitcoin doing that he bought on Robinhood? I did. And then Mrs. Dunn, Mrs. Vice President of Advice says, Dame's Bitcoin is now AirPods, <laughs> which you're not wearing. No, no. Um, <laughs> no, they're inside. They're, Why they're, are they inside? They're for special occasions. What, the, uh, no, my Bitcoin did... Uh, well, and so I decided I was going to, uh, take my profits and run. You did well. I don't need to share numbers. Dame, I bought noise canceling headphones a long time ago when I used to travel, when I didn't wear glasses and didn't have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Now, when you've got a, uh, an elderly fat head, like I have, you have glasses mm -hmm. and you have a mask the cup that goes over your ears just drives all of that into the side of your head mm -hmm. and makes for a very uncomfortable experience. Did you know that the AirPod Pros are noise canceling as well? I do, but you can't plug them into the movies that you watch in the back of airplane seats. Yeah, I, you know, I've, sound is important for the kind of movies that you watch. That's a good point. Dame, I gotta go. Okay. I feel like there was something else I wanted to tell people this week. Can you remember what it is? Thank you. Thank you for bearing no, with us. No, it's a story, but I don't remember what it was. No. I will say this. 
this conference I was at in uh, California this week. It was at a very, 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 very nice resort. And it always cracks me up. The nicer the resort, the more difficult it is to get water out of the faucet of the public restrooms at that resort because it's got one of the automated sensors where you mm-hmm. have to put your hands under. And so you're literally like, well, someone will hand you a towel at any other place in this resort. Like they will, they will like brush things off your face. It's truly incredibly uh, hospitable. Except if you go to the public bathroom and just try to get a little bit of water in your hands to wash them. And, and then it's just like, nope, nope. So then you go to the next sink because you're trying to activate it. And mm-hmm. it's like, nope. And then you get a little bit of soap on and then it goes and it splits and you can't get it to go again. It's like, how is that possible that the nicest resort possibly in the United States won't give you water to wash the soap off your hands? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I, I just got a message. I'm sorry. Uh, Lisa says she has a call booked at 10 a.m. next week at this point. So oh, we can't say the show. I know. All right. That's all I have, everybody. I got to work. Um, Dame, good day to you. Good day to everyone. Stay getting money. <laughs>